Okay, I think, I think we have something here. I think we got, got, I think we may have this figured out. Let's just see. Wally, let me know when you're in here, brother. Let's give this another go. I think we got it. So, um, waiting on, there he is. Nope, is he in here? Yep, 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 he's in here. Let me add you to, there he is, add. I invited Wally into the stream. I... Yes! That was, that was easy. Boom! Let <laughs> <laughs> me do it. Oh, dude. I'm so glad. Like, I love, I love the tenacity, though, man. You're like, I ain't giving up. <laughs> I apologize. I got some glare in that window right there. Uh, I can probably go shut that curtain if, it, if it's too bad. If not, nah, dude, it's great. It's perfect. No worse than the glare here, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I'm I'm getting that same glare going here. So, <laughs> so hey, man. First off, let me say thank you for taking the time to to be on the show. I I, I uh, even though we're doing it a little bit different, um, it's all right. It works, man. It works. Cool. So. Um, so thank you. I appreciate you, man. Likewise, Ken. Thanks for having me on. And uh, uh, congratulations on uh, on all your success and your new endeavors this last year. And I'm happy to be on, man. Thank you. Thank you. So, so you know, this show, as I told you, it's about helping people have a breakthrough. And, and you know, I'm a recovered alcoholic with 16 years sober. Wow. And, 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 you know, I've... Uh, I definitely spent many, many years being stuck, right? right? So, so you know, with with um, with that in mind, I mean, you know, let's let, if you wouldn't mind, just tell people like a little bit about like where you were born and raised and what it was like being a kid as 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 Weldon Long. Yeah, well, coming up as Weldon Long uh, was not very much fun, really. I was a pretty mixed up kid, military. And uh, so I was the new kid in school. Back in those days, you know, you moved every year. I was the new kid in school. I was the youngest of five kids. So I was kind of a goofball and wasn't really very athletic. And, uh, you know, my mom was really into to her religion and her religion kind of uh, recommended or demanded really that, uh, you know, not really associate with the, the so-called worldly kids. And so I was pretty isolated. I uh, was always a new kid, didn't really fit in. So I uh, grew up feeling very uh, confused and not really knowing who I was. And after ninth grade, I quit high school. I uh, didn't really have any friends, didn't have any connection, and uh, kind of set out my journey to build my life with a ninth grade education. And uh, didn't work out so well, no education, really no skills. Kind of knocked around for a number of years, trying to put some things together, a little bit of effort here, try a job here. And uh, nothing really worked out. And then... Uh, uh, when I was in my 20s, things really got out of control. We could talk a little bit about that if you want as well. Yeah, I, and and I got to, before before you go too far down that hole, I got to tell everybody on here, um, I've, I've read, you know, two of your books. You have The Upside of Fear, I think, is the first one, right? Yeah. And yep. then. Kind of a trilogy. Here's a, here's a copy of the first book, The Upside of Fear. Yeah. And that really kind of got me into writing. It really changed the course of my life, really. Well, I want to, I you know, the subtitle, 
is 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 very catchy. <laughs> yeah. How one man broke the cycle of prison, poverty, and addiction. And then, you know, the next one is The Power of Consistency. And I've read both of these books. And, and well, dude, we have Zig Ziglar's daughter on here. She just shared this video out. She's a good wow. friend of mine. Wow. So, I'm a big, big fan of Zig. If you can't close yeah. your ask any kids. <laughs> That's right. In fact, That's right. Look, look, right. My, look what's on my desk right here. I, dude, isn't that awesome? Look, look, right here, right behind me. Boom, isn't that great? <laughs> great minds, dude, great classic, minds. Classic stuff. So, so you know, I, but I've, I've, read, I've read both of your, your initial books. I know you have a third book being released. Um, but, you know, let's talk about, let's talk about first, um, you know, you tell the story in your books, but, yep. but go ahead and kind of give the Reader's Digest version if you want. Yeah, so after I dropped out of high school, I bummed around for about seven or eight years, ended up moving to Colorado, really no education, uh, not anything going on. And uh, one night in 1987, in April of 1987, I was out uh, trying to pawn a shotgun on the east side of Denver. Couldn't pawn a shotgun. I was trying to get rent money and food money. And ended up picking up a guy hitchhiking. He and I rode around uh, smoking cocaine for a couple of hours, got the bright idea to use that gun to commit a robbery. So uh, that afternoon, that evening, we held two innocent men at gunpoint. We were apprehended after a bit of a slow speed chase from the police. And uh, next thing I knew, I was in front of a judge and sentenced to prison for 10 years. I served four and a half years. I got out at 27, uh, 27 years old. I'm still a ninth grade high school dropout. Still a punk and a loser. Now I'm a convicted felon to boot, so not many opportunities, or at least that's what I thought at the time. Ended up hooking up with some guys I met in the joint. Went back to prison again two years later on gun charges and some other stuff. Did two more years, got out again. Now I'm 30 years old in the story. Two-time convicted felon. No education, no hope, no future. Ended up getting involved in some illegal telemarketing, and that went well for about 18 months until the FBI walked in one day. And ended up getting indicted on federal money laundering and mail fraud charges and going to the federal penitentiary for seven years. And uh, But it was during that last trip, it's funny, my meditation this morning was on gratitude and embracing every bad thing, every good thing as a blessing. And, uh, of course, when I look back on my life, as bad as it seems, everything that happened, it was that final trip to prison where I finally had my wake-up call, and that completely changed everything. Uh, we can talk more about that transformation, but... Seven years later, I walked out of prison. Within five years, I built an Inc. 5000 company, over $20 million in revenue. I sold that company. I wrote that first book, uh, The Upside of Fear. And uh, that book was Writer's Digest, Best Independent Book of the Year, the year it came out. New York Book Festival, Best Autobiography of the Year. And then kind of the writing and the speaking, and people wanted to know how I built a company. Living in, I was living in a homeless shelter when I started, when I first got out. And so just my career has taken off in the books, the speaking and, and all that business uh, since 2003. So it's hard to believe 2003, 15 years ago, I was living in a homeless shelter. Uh, here wow. Where I live today, just uh, about seven miles away. Wow. And you're like, <laughs> I've seen, I've seen your Ferrari. I've seen the Range <laughs> Rovers. I've seen yeah. like you're, 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 and don't you have a house in Hawaii as well? Uh, I did for many, many years. That was a dream of mine. I, I sold it a few years ago. Oh, okay. But uh, looking for another one in Southern California. Just so far from Denver. I live in Colorado from Denver. It's an eight-hour flight. And uh, it's, it's kind of tough to 
just I, I'm working so much now, to be honest with you, Ken, I don't have the time. I used to go out there for two or three weeks, five weeks at a time. These days I'm working so much. I'd like to get back to where I could spend five weeks on the beach again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what, like today, what does, you know, and, and, and if it, look, I, so you've been, and it was all self-induced the same, Absolutely. With Absolutely. same, same with me. And I, I, but you know, when you're in it, you, you, you kind of feel like a victim a little bit, well, right? It's, it's funny because the first two times I went to prison before, before I got it, yeah. you know, people always ask me in prison, what are you in for? What are you in for? What are you in for? And I used to always say I'm in because I was uneducated and poor, you know, and, <laughs> and, it, and it didn't occur to me till many years later when I finally woke up that I wasn't in prison because I was poor and uneducated. I was in prison because how I tried to solve my being poor and uneducated problem. And that's good for me. It's not about what happens to us. It's our decisions about those problems that ultimately determine our fate. And so I started making better decisions and here I am, you know? Yeah. And, and, and today work involves what? Like uh, a lot of speaking, a lot of keynote speaking. I do a lot of training and consulting. Uh, we've developed a series of online programs. In fact, I want to give you a, a little text number for your viewers there to get some free videos on the new book and the mindset that can text the word uh, videos to 96,000, 96,000 text the word videos. No good instructions. I did a 45 minute, video uh, series on how to apply the mindset and consistency selling into your life and business. It's about a 45 minute program. We're giving it away free. Uh, all you got to do is uh, text that to 9,600 videos and you'll get the stuff. 96,000. Uh, yeah. 96,000. Yeah. 96,000. Good. Yeah, good. Me, I see. So, yeah. Cool. So, so, you know, let me ask you this. I don't know if you, um, personally experienced this or not, but I, you know, I grew up incredibly poor, um, and, and, and an incredibly poor house. And I went through, you know, all the same, not all the same stuff, never been to prison. Um, yet I want to knock on wood or something. Right. But, but, you know, I, um, I want to say that like, you know, what, when, when somebody comes to you and, and, you know, they're stuck or they're, they're feeling sorry for themselves or, you know, all of the stuff that we all as human beings go through, what kind of, um, do you find it hard to be sympathetic or empathetic at times? Well, that's a great question, uh, Ken. And my wife last year for Christmas bought me five books on the subject of empathy. And, <laughs> wow. There's you know, a message. Hey, hey, the good news is she saved me some money because I'm going to re-gift them and give them to somebody else. <laughs> uh, but here's the thing. Maybe I'll send one to you. Maybe you need it. But here's the thing. <laughs> I, I subscribe to Emerson's philosophy. Regret calamity only if you can thereby help the sufferer. What that means to me is if someone comes to me with a problem, a bad situation, and they want to solve it, and they're willing to work to solve it, I'm all in. What I can't deal with is people come to me with a problem with no desire, no intention to fix it. They simply want the, the gratification of feeling sorry for themselves. I can't deal with that. My wife looks at that as a lack of empathy. Uh, I work with a lot of people, donate a lot of my time and a lot of my money to people who need it. But it's people who are seriously committed to changing the process. So I don't think that I lack empathy. Uh, I do sometimes struggle with people their perspective on problems. I live in this uh, Broadmoor community here in Colorado Springs. And, 
you know, we have a lot of wealthy friends and it's amazing to me that can get the things that can get people down and upset, you know? Yeah. And so I, I can't always identify with those problems because I, I know what real suffering feels like. Uh, but, but, you know, if you're willing to solve it, I'm all in, by the way, uh, when I do meet with somebody who's serious about wanting to get their act together, change their business, change their life, whatever it is, the first thing I do is encourage them to read a book called Man's Search for Meaning uh, uh, by Viktor Frankl. And that book talks about finding significance and purpose and meaning in your suffering. When you can look at a bad situation, divorce, bankruptcy, maybe a health problem, whatever it is, financial problem, business problem, when you can look at it as you know, Napoleon Hill would have said, if he were here, the, the seed of equivalent benefit. What's the value in this lesson? And it's the same thing that Victor Frankl talked about. When you can find the purpose in your suffering, the meaning and significance in your pain, it doesn't become as painful. When I was going through prison, I read that. I'm like, this isn't so bad. There's going to be some purpose for this someday. But as long as you're just in suffering and just wallowing in the suffering with no understanding of the benefit of it, then it becomes really, really difficult suffering and it's you can get stuck there real easy you, you, bad things happen we get in bad moods but if you stay there that bad mood turns into a bad attitude yeah. and if you continue to stay there eventually it turns into a bad person you got to get out of those situations find the benefit and do everything in your power to make better decisions to get out of it dude that's one of the best books if not the best book ever written on on like that's one of my favorite books yeah. i've read it multiple times and I, I reference it a lot when I'm talking to people like, dude, this guy literally watched his entire family be slaughtered in front of his own eyes and came out and created logotherapy a, 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 after after being freed from Auschwitz, well, from the, the last death camp he was in. It's an incredible yeah. book. And, yeah. and so, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about about the um, because. I know that you focus a lot on mindset. Like you, yep. you had a significant shift in mindset and, and I, I can't quote you cause I don't remember it, but you know, you said basically you were in the, your last, your last, um, whatever it's called stent in, in, in prison. You, you said, you said you had a, a it was a, a, an awakening almost. Yeah. Yeah, an epiphany, a moment of clarity, whatever you want to call it. It was June 10th of 1996. I remember it very clearly because on June 6th of 1996, I was in federal prison. I had already done six and a half years of state time. Now I was in federal prison starting a fresh seven years. Uh, we call it a bit instead of a stint, a bit, just so you know. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a bit? <laughs> it's funny because one of the things we say in prison is, you know, you're on the yard. If you're in prison, like, we're, you know, what yard were you on? In other words, what prison were you in? And a couple of years ago, my stepdaughter, she's about 12, playing in the backyard. My wife says, look at Skyler. She's out there on the yard. I'm like, no, baby, she's in the yard. Not <laughs> on the yard. A huge difference. Let's pray she's never on the yard. Uh, but yeah. it, so uh. in, in, in June 10th, I was on the yard in a federal detention center. And a cop walked in and told me to call home. And I learned that my father had unexpectedly passed away at 59 mm. years old. And when I realized that my dad went to his grave, knowing me as a thief and a crook and a punk and a liar, I made a decision I was going to change the course of my life. And, uh, you know, really it happened very quickly in terms of the decision. It took a long time to do it, but it was an instant decision. Like, I can't live like this anymore. At the time, my son, I had fathered a son while I was out on parole. He was three years old. I didn't know my son. 
So I decided I was going to be the son I should have been to my father, and I was going to be the father that I needed to be to my son. And I made the course, the decision to change the course of my life. And I began to read and study. And one of the first things that I studied about, read about, uh, I remember reading a quote from Frederick Nietzsche. Nietzsche said, we attract that which we fear. And I thought for a second that was just, you know, nonsense. So I kind of discarded it. A couple of months later, I'm reading in the Bible. I come across a scripture in Job. And Job says, Father, that which I had feared has come upon me. I'm like, well, that's interesting because Job was a godly man. Yeah. Uh, Nietzsche was an atheist, separated by a couple of thousands years, uh, thousands, several thousand years. And here they are, uh, you know, saying the same thing. And then in uh, uh, another little book I was reading, uh, we talked about Drekel's uh, 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 book. Frankel said that fear may come true. So I started thinking, okay, so what, what is going on here? Uh, all this fear stuff. So I started thinking about what do I fear the most? Well, my greatest fears at that time, I was 32 years old. Uh, I was starting a fresh seven years in prison. My greatest fears were dying in prison, living in prison, being broken, homeless, and never knowing my son. What had I manufactured in my life? And it occurred to me that all the chaos in here, all the insanity in here was somehow getting out and showing up in my life. Wow. So I sat down at the little metal desk in my prison cell and decided I need to put new stuff in here. And I wrote out what a perfect life for me would look like. I'm an awesome father to my son. I'm wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Writer, blob down. And And I stuck it to the wall of my cell with toothpaste. And every morning and every night for the next seven years, I would read that list. I would visualize it. As Napoleon Hill said, I would, I would, I would uh, imagine myself already in possession of these things. I get deeply emotionally connected to them. I didn't realize the neuroscience behind it at the time, of course. But it began to rewire the brain, right? Those new neural connectors started to grow and reshape themselves. Seven yeah. years after I walked out of the penitentiary to a homeless shelter, I was 40 years old when I got out. But I was a man on fire. I had no money. I had no clothes. I had no home. But I had the prosperity mindset. And that's the key to the kingdom right there. And uh, so I just started from there and, and, and began to build. So, yeah, to me, it's all about the mindset. I mean, don't get me wrong. The sales process is really important, too, if we're going to build a business, if we're going to yeah. be successful, whatever we do. But without the prosperity mindset, the sales principles are just another tool that won't be used, right? We got a mindset. We got so get- I, I, I think, and, and you bring up, a, that's such a valid point. And, and I, I got to say this, that, that, you know, I grew up in this unbelievably poor household where, you know, and, and I'm sure you've read T. Harv Eker's book, The Millionaire Mindset. And, yep. you know, like there's this, there's this, it's like, I know people and I'm thinking of a couple of examples and I won't call them out because, because some of them are family members, but I know people that, that could hit the lottery and immediately go into this fear of, Oh my God, I got to pay all these taxes and all, oh, what am I going to do with all this money? And so they do, they, I think that there's this automatic side of a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people that immediately push money away without even realizing they're doing it. Hey, Ken, check this out. So you talked about reading Man's Search for Meaning several times. I've yeah. got a couple of books that I reread every few years. Seven Habits is one of them. Yeah. Uh, but I started a new one this morning. This is going to make you laugh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you on a little time trip backwards, right? But I was, for some reason, yesterday morning I was meditating and a book jumped in my mind, a book that I had not even looked at. I don't know how many years, but I knew I had a copy in my library back here somewhere. 
And so I decided to start reading Awaken the Giant Within. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm looking at it. It's right there. I love that book, man. Yeah. And so one of the things wow. in the introduction that Tony Robbins <laughs> talks about in that book, he talks about the exact person that you're thinking about. If you don't think it's possible, right? In other words, if your beliefs, your limiting beliefs are such that it can never happen for me, I can never lose the weight, I can never meet the right person, I can never make that kind of money then obviously you're never going to do it because you're never going to put the time in to even try to do it. So it's funny because that's, that's what you said. There are those people that uh, have the uncanny ability to find the cloud in every silver lining, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you can't pick your family, Ken. You can't pick your family. You're stuck with right. it. Right, right. But I mean, what do you say? Like, you know, I, one of my biggest, I think one of my biggest challenges in life is trying to, um, get people to be something different than they are, right? Like, like mm -hmm. you know, and, and so what do you say? Because I, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I distance myself from the people that, that drag me down like that, right? So, so, but what do you say to somebody that you love, that you care about? Like, man, you got to get your mindset right. If you don't fix that, you're going to keep pushing money away. You're going to keep pushing all of the, yeah. The good stuff in life away. How do you get through to that person? Well, a couple things jump out. Number one, I'm, uh, I, I'm reminded of an Emerson quote that our actions speak so loudly, people can't hear what we say. And I remember in 1996, when my father died, I began reading, studying, meditating, writing everything out, committing myself to a certain set of values and committing myself to the work to, to build this life. Uh, I remember after a year or two, I got so confident I wanted everyone else to know it. And so I started telling everybody, now I'm in prison, and I'm trying to tell my brothers all this stuff. I'm trying to tell people, the people that I've disappointed, lied, and betrayed for my entire life, now all of a sudden, <laughs> I got the Holy Ghost, and I'm getting all the self-righteous, sanctimonious bullshit, and I'm going to tell you about the cow ate the cabin, right? And I, I realized very quickly that was not a very effective approach. Uh, I remember reading uh, a book... Uh, Oh, I can't think of the name of it now. Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking. Yeah. And in that book, Dr. Peale said, there's only one thing that can vindicate you. And I actually think there's two things that can vindicate you. But Dr. Norman Vincent Peale said, God can vindicate you and only God. And I would add to that time, proof, right? So I read that during this period of my life where I'm trying to tell everybody how I figured out the secret to success. Meanwhile, I'm sitting in the penitentiary with a ninth grade education <laughs> And I'm trying to be like this, listen to me, listen to me. When I read that, I just realized I have to knuckle down and do the work. Right. Let my actions speak so loudly I don't have to hear what they say. And an amazing thing happened, Ken. Years later, I walked out of prison. I built these companies. And my brothers, my family, the same people that I was always trying to convince that I stopped trying to convince, yeah. they started seeing the results in my life. And before I knew it, my brothers were coming to me, I'm, and they're older than me, right? More experienced, right. Uh, just a lot of smart guys. And, and just, just uh, Saturday, one of my brothers called me about a business decision he's making. He goes, hey, man, I just got to get your two cents on this because I really respect your opinion. And I just, I was like, man, half times changed, right? But the key is that you convince the people around you. And, and I hear this a lot, and I bet you do too, Ken. People will come to me and say, hey, man, I am totally into this. I'm making these changes. I'm doing this stuff, but I can't get my wife or I can't get my husband on board. And I just tell them, listen, 
I tell them what I just said about time and God vindicating them. And I tell them, just do the work. Let your action speak so loudly. You don't have to say a single friggin' word. That's that right. That's how you convince them. Because the one thing I've learned raising kids and just working with people, until someone comes and asks for your opinion, they don't want your opinion. Right? When they want it, they'll ask. When the teacher is ready, the student, or whatever it is, you know the yeah. 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 So my, my so I, I think and I, I, I remember hearing a, uh, a a guy a comedian in recovery, his name's Mark Lungholm Lungholm. Great funny guy. And he says, uh in one of his skits, he's like, I'm not gonna swear because I'm just not gonna swear, but but he says because he swears when he says this, but he says, You know why they say uh, opinions are like buttholes? But he <laughs> doesn't say it's cause I don't want to hear yours. So like, right. So, so, and, and, and so, you know, one of the things though, that, that I, I, I personally for a long time, I struggled with and I don't anymore, but I did for a long time is, is that mindset shift. And, and, and I, I see this, I'll put a post up about, uh, and you know, you see it too on social media or wherever, where you start talking about money and then, then all of the money is the root of all evil. People like to chime in and right. and 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 all of that, or or you know, well, I I don't have that life because I'm too poor and I've always been too poor. And it's like I don't know how sometimes to get somebody to have that shift. Like like you got to let go of what you were, what you've always been, to become who you're supposed to be. And and that's who I know. Like. I know that's who you are. I know when you're talking, that's what you're talking about is having that shift, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to, you know, it's common sense. You know, you have to believe it's possible before you even do, before you even do the work. I remember when I was growing up, my dad used to always tell me, because my dad had the scarcity mentality, uh, like a, a lot of people. I mean, listen, to me, most everything you know about money in this country uh, was been affected by the Great Depression because we're all one or two generations removed by somebody who was directly touched by that, either a grandparent or a parent. Yeah. And my grandfather grew up believing rich people were crooks. Well, I started thinking, why, you know, why, I mean, obviously he was poor. That was one reason, but stop and think about what happened in the great depression. There was uh, a very small group of people that had all the money and we had a name for them. If you can think back to your high school American history class, what was the name we had for J Paul Getty and the Carnegie's and, the Rockefellers and Henry Ford, there was a name we had for them, the poor people. So we used to call them. There's a book by the same title, The Robber Barons, right? The, the what? The Robber Barons. Okay. That was what they were known at. In other words, they were robbers. They were stealing all the resources from the rest of us. That's what the poor people believed. Right. Right? So my grandfather learned that. So he put that in my dad's box, right? What I refer to as the box that yeah. rich people are crooks. And my dad taught it to me. Now think about this for a second. I grow up my whole life believing that rich people are crooks. If I see you with a nice car or something like that, I'm going to be thinking, you know, who are you screwing over to get that? And then I look back in my life now in my mid-50s, I look back to the same young man in my 20s and early 30s, and I didn't see the problem with stealing money to have money because, hey, rich people are crooks, right? Yeah. But it became a very destructive, self-fulfilling prophecy for me, that limiting belief that somehow there was something negative associated with wealth so if I wanted to get wealth, I was going to have to be willing to suck it up and cut some corners. Well, those are the kinds of beliefs, like you said, money doesn't grow on trees. We can't afford that. All the crazy stuff we hear from our parents, which is what they were told from their parents who went to the Great Depression. 
Right. right. So we have to break through of that scarcity mentality, develop an abundance mentality and, and, and shift our thinking to have that that you're talking about. You know, one of the things I teach in, in, in this book, Consistency Selling, in our online programs and in that video program I talked about earlier, by the way, just a reminder, 96,000, text 96,000 and text the word videos and you're going to get 45 minutes of free videos. But one and I'm, and I, about, let me say, let me say this, like, yeah. if you, if anyone watching you right on this right now, if they don't, if they don't know who you are, they don't know how powerful that's going to be. Like, you put out on freaking, like, your books, dude, are, are, sorry, I, I called you dude, but your books, your books are, like, you, the way that you write, I couldn't stop reading. The, I started reading the first one, and I was like, Holy crap, this guy, like the way that you write, I don't, I, I don't even know how to put it in words, but you express it with so much passion and, and, you, and it, it, it's just, it's like, I couldn't, well, I couldn't stop. And I use short, a lot of short words too, Ken. The reason my books are so easy to read, they were written by a ninth grader. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. You're, you're the smartest ninth grader I've ever met. My stepdaughter last night, she's 14, so she's going through the attitude years. And uh, last night she was like a little bit sick with some no sniffles. And she's like, I, I can't go to school tomorrow. She's just started ninth grade. And, uh, and, and my wife told her, uh, well, I told my wife and then my wife said it. And so she knew I was involved in the decision. So she was mad at me because I said, Hey, if you're sick, we're going to the doctor in the morning. If you're not sick enough to go to the doctor, we're not going to skip school for sniffles. And she says to my wife, she says, what's the big deal with me missing one day of the ninth grade? That's all the education Wally ever got. <laughs> okay. I know. That's why it's the attitude years, right? I think she thought it was going to make me bad, but I'm like, hey, I've, I've gotten all the mileage you're going to get out of a ninth grade education. I promise you. Right? <laughs> right. I, got, I got my money out of the public school system in South Louisiana. But what uh, I want to say, Ken, and I appreciate the comments of the book. I, I, I love that people tell me I simplify complex topics, right? Yeah. And that's what I really want to do is to simplify and to make it interesting to read. I use a lot of stories and examples because, you know, people enjoy reading that more. But in consistency selling, when I teach the sales process, I won't even teach the sales process until people study the mindset process. Yeah. Because they're not going to use the sales process if they don't have the, the, the sales, the, the mindset to be successful, to believe. Because, I mean, if, if, if I'm a salesperson, and I am, and my belief is, well, I could never make a half a million dollars a year. I could never make 300 grand a year. Well, why the hell would I waste the time to start studying this? I've got right. to get to believe in these things are possible before we're even able to move on to the next stage of, you know, okay, now here's what you got to do. I first got to get you to believe it's possible, right? So, yeah. yeah. Is that what you're, so this book is about that? You're getting the mindset right first? Well, well, that's what, that's what POC was really about. This, the subtitle on this book is Prosperity Mindset Training for Sales and Business Professionals, right? So yeah. this is the mindset. And this is the actual process, right? Okay. Uh, by the way, I mentioned to you Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He endorsed my first two books before he passed away. His son, Stephen M. R. Covey, who wrote The Speed of Trust, wrote the forward to this book. And it's the most wow. moving, mind-boggling forward I've had in my life. He, he really talked about our relationship on a personal level. Uh, but this book, so the, 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 three, the three videos, that 45-minute video series I was talking about, it's it's mindset and sales so it's about the mindset first yeah how we change it why we got to change it and then i give some of the sales principles 
and that are in this in, in this new book, right? So, text. Now, let me let me ask you this because I I read, um, and, and I'm 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 a pretty transparent person, so I did not finish the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and I don't know why. I started it, and I know I have it. Maybe I don't have it anymore. I don't know, but um, I I just didn't get all the way through it. Something stopped me, and I don't know what. Because when I love a book, I go all in, man. I can't stop. Yeah. But something about it. So my question for you, maybe it was because it's too, like, the the, the way you write your books, the, the first two that I've read, are are absolutely just they they the your style just it sucked sucked me in like i couldn't i couldn't stop um is that are you using the same style or is it more of a science i think it maybe that was a scientific approach it with yeah. seven habits well, i don't know i was going to use the word academic the, the second half of that book does start getting in to a lot of academic not not academic stuff but academic style Okay. You know, w was a PhD. He went to Harvard University. He was a professor at BYU. So he spoke in very academic, you know, way. Yeah. My my way is, you know, more from the street level, just telling stories, you know, to try to try to make my points. And and I don't have the intellectual firepower to talk about things on some super high intellectual. Uh, it's funny because. Uh, this book got so many good reviews on Amazon, but there was one, the guy said, there's no science here, blah, blah, blah. And this other guy who turned out to be a PhD in a clinical psychologist jumped in and said, that's why the book's so good. No <laughs> He's like, I've been teaching the academic side for 30 years and nobody wants to hear me. <laughs> the right. Reason, the reason that people listen is because it's very, very simple. And again, I use a lot of stories and examples. I don't know. It's just, you know, who knows? I don't even know what my style is. I just, I write every word myself. I just write it out how it makes sense to me. And the editors clean it up, of course. But I just write it out how it makes sense to me. It's got, if it makes sense to me, you know, then I think it'll make sense to other people because I have to have things explained to me, like break it down for me. Right. right? So I can digest it. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't think my books overwhelm anybody. Right. Well, and I think, but, but, but again, you know, I, um, I, I, I may not be able to recall your your books word for word, but I can definitely rec recall the the feeling that it gave me and 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 what it did as far as pushing me, and 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 that's just my personal experience. I've seen the reviews like you've got. I, I can I can see it right here on my on my screen next to me. You've got a ton of reviews. So and they're all good, most of them. But you know, so my my thing is is how do you how do you get somebody, because you're right, I, I agree with you. It's like picking up the book Secrets of Closing the Sale by Zig Ziglar that we both just held up, right? Like, right. what if you don't know what that means? Well, you're not going to buy the book. You're right. not going to buy the book. But this, I want people to get that you're a guy that in and out of, of the, the, the penitentiary system for 13 years, and, and you finally, it clicked, something clicked, you're, you, you, you dropped out in ninth grade, something clicked though, where you're like, wait a minute, this isn't what life is. This isn't what my, and I, I'm making a huge shift and you made that shift and built multi-million dollar businesses. So right. I, that's what I want people to understand is getting this book, your new book, especially, but the other books are good too. 
But let, let's focus on the new book. It's actually going to help them shift something in their life. Absolutely. And, and I, in, a, in the first part of the new book in Consistency Selling, I talk about the mindset too. Not in the same detail that I did in The Power of Consistency, but when, when I, I thought, okay, if somebody picks up this book, and by the way, this book will be in virtually every airport bookstore in the country starting, actually starting today, October, November, December. So if you're in the airport traveling, you can pick it up. It's a good read. You can read a couple of flights. Uh, wow. But I mean, the mindset is so important. And, and what I wanted to make sure is that if somebody picked up this book, but they had not read this book, I wanted them still to get a little bit of the mindset. So yeah, the mindset is so important to make sure that we're going to act on these ideas, right? So That's yeah, awesome. mindset's crucial for sure. That's awesome. So Linda, Linda Ann Barber, by the way, like, can we, can we talk about her for a minute? <laughs> yeah, she's the, she's the biggest pain in the ass I'm lucky to have. <laughs> She is absolutely amazing, dude. She gets things like, done. I told her, I said, I, I need, I, I need somebody exactly like her. As an, I mean, she's, she's, yeah. Anyway. Hey, hey, it's all fun and games until she starts telling me what to do. Then I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> but, but it's like, you know, remember, have you ever heard that old story uh, about the scorpion and the frog? <laughs> you can tell it. It's a good okay, story. So Frogs getting ready to jump across and swim across this river, and along comes the scorpion. And the scorpion tells the frog, "Say, hey, you mind if I jump on your back and you take me across the river with you?" And the frog says, "Well, no, you're a scorpion. As soon as I let you on my back, you're gonna stick me with your stinger and you're gonna kill me." And the right. scorpion says, "Well, why would I, if I do that, we're both gonna drown?" And the frog thinks about it for a second, says, "That makes sense." So hops on. So he jumps out in the river. He's paddling across the river. Gets about halfway out there. All of a sudden, the scorpion rears back. Bam! drives his stinger right in the back of the frog's neck. Just as the frog is getting paralyzed, knowing they're both going to die, he says, why did you do that? Now we're both going to die. Right. And the scorpion says, I know, but I'm a scorpion. That's what I do. Right? So <laughs> when Linda starts telling me what to do, like, wait a second, you can't tell me what to do. You have to delegate down, not up. She's like, <laughs> I'm a scorpion. That's what I do. <laughs> Dude, she's awesome. I mean, I, I like she, she really is. She, she's awesome. So, so you know, um, I so so this new book is like there's no prerequisite of reading your other books. They'll like they'll there's a lot of value in it. Yeah, I, I, I the first couple of chapters are a review of the mindset, the importance, how to work on it, that type of thing. Because I just think the mindset is so important. I didn't want people to get the sales book. I mean, eighty percent of this book is the sales process. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. I, I needed 20% of the mindset. If you really want to deep dive in the mindset, use the power of consistency, right? Uh, but there's an overview of it just so that people can, you know, can, can be able to leverage the sales content. Let me ask you, let me ask you a, a question. You've probably been asked, um, but I, I'm curious what your answer is. There's there. I mean, look, there's seven and a half billion people on this planet and it's a tiny, tiny fraction of one percent that actually make it become millionaire status, have a happy life, happy wife, happy kids, the, the get it all. It's a very, very tiny percentage. And, yeah. and my and, you know, I think and, and I know a lot of people just are not taking the actions that they need to take. Pick up a book and read it. Like, mm -hmm. read a book. Don't just listen to some best-selling author, i.e. you, 
talk about his book and not take any action. I mean, they don't take action. But what is it that keeps people there? What, in your opinion, why do people stay stuck? I mean, like, I know that if I pick up your book and I read it, or I pick up a number of these other books that we've discussed, and I start reading and I actually read all the way through and finish it and reread it and study it, like, I know I can change my life, right? Yep. Why don't people do it? Well, it's, uh, I talk about this in The Power of Consistency. I call it, Ken, the conundrum of human nature. The conundrum of human nature is that very often in life, we can know exactly what we want. We can know exactly what we need to do to get it, but then we don't do it, right? Yeah. In other words, I want to lose 10 pounds. I know what I want. I know what I got to do. I got to eat different and go to the gym, but I sit on the couch and eat pizza. And the reason for that is very simple. As easy as it is to do, it's always a little bit easier not to. It's not <laughs> hard to go for a run. It's just easier not to. It's not hard to run a sales call the way you're supposed to. It's just easier to drop off a bid, right? So yeah. it's the path of least resistance. But, but if you don't, you're exactly right. If you don't defy the conundrum of human nature, in other words, if you don't overcome that, then you're going to be stuck right where you are. Real Roger said that even if you're on the right path in life, you get run over if you just sit still, right? Yeah. You've yeah. got to be taking consistent action. And that's what all three of these books, by the way, are about consistency. And I don't mean like consistency about thinking you want something. I don't mean consistency about, wow, I, I, I really wish I could have that. I mean consistency in doing it Yeah. all the time. I'm a big football fan. How long would you have to think about football or how long would you have to watch football before you got really, really good at it? <laughs> you, there's only one way to get good at football, right? And that's yeah. in there and take action. It's yeah. the same in success, in business, in life. You can't just watch it. You can't just see it with other people. You can't just think it and want it. You have to take action. Unfortunately, the conundrum of human nature, it's easier not to. To change that, that's what this book is all about. It's about writing out exactly what you want, exactly what you need to do, engage in what I call a 15-minute quiet time ritual where you review those things every single day, and we leverage basic psychology and neurological principles, right, of cognitive dissonance and neural pathways, and they begin to change over time, right? Yeah. But, but you got to go to that initial, you know, kind of forcing yourself to do it until you carve those neural pathways uh, and uh, but the book is about dissonance. In other words, if I tell myself every morning I eat only healthy, nutritious foods, and I visualize me being thinner, I visualize me exercising more, I visualize me eating healthy foods, and then I go out that day and eat a cheeseburger at lunch, right? I'm going to have what's called cognitive dissonance, anxiety, and dissonance is the anxiety we have when we do something that completely conflicts with something we earlier said, right? The yeah. key is to tell yourself every day in your quiet time ritual what you're going to be doing. And then if you do something that's counterintuitive to that, your body will feel anxiety. How do you get rid of the anxiety? Because the body wants to be in a state of resonance. How do you get back to resonance? You have to do the thing you said you would do. But if you never get up in the morning and think about what you're going to eat, if you never visualize yourself eating healthier foods, then you go eat the cheeseburger and guess what happens? Nothing. Because there's no, there's no accountability. You never said you were going to do anything different. Right. So the formula is right here. The formula to defy the conundrum of human nature is right here in this book. Yeah, it is. I agree. 
So, um, and and what? So your name is Weldon Long, but a lot of people call you Wally. Yeah, yeah. Which do you, which do you prefer? Well, you know, it's funny. You got a minute for another great story? <laughs> yeah. So I was born Weldon Willard Long, named after both grandfathers. You know, I'm like, you know, six, eight, ten pounds, whatever. Weldon Willard's kind of a heavy name for a baby, right? <laughs> so my mom started calling me Wally, right? And, of course, that stuck, and everybody called me Wally my whole life. My sister, uh, who was two years older than me, she used to always tell me as we got older. And when I went to prison, she was an attorney. She actually was a prosecutor, and she was always trying to help me out, and she always stayed in touch with me, and she was always supporting me. She'd always tell me, she goes, one of these days, the world's going to start calling you Weldon. And when they start calling you Weldon, you will know you have gotten your act together, right? And always stuck in my head. She said that for many, many years. 2003, I get out of prison, start building my company. A year and a half after I get out, my sister dies. She commits suicide due to her alcohol and drug addiction. Brilliant girl, beautiful girl, beautiful girl chemical dependency, all kinds of issues, depression issues. She commits. Wow. It was devastating for all of us. Right? Oh, my God. A few years later, my first book comes out this little guy right here and the publisher sends me a box of books. I rip open the box of books. So excited to see the book, but the only thing I could see was Weldon long on there. It was the first time anybody had referred to me as Weldon. I was, when this book came out, uh, I don't know how old was I 45, something like that, 46. And no one had ever called me Weldon before. And wow. So when I saw that book, all I could think about, I started crying. Everybody thought I was crying about the book. I was like, no, she always said one day this would happen. Wow. So professionally, since then, everyone's always called me Weldon because that's how people meet me. Uh, but most of my friends and acquaintances call me Wally in an informal yeah. setting. But if you're Googling me because you want to buy my shit, Google Weldon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> my wife just said she and I, I, I honestly don't think I ever bought the hardback version of your books. I, I, if I did, I don't know where they are. I know I read them on Kindle, but I, I, my wife wants to read your book now. So we'll be, we'll be sure Linda will send you some books. Oh, dude, I, I can buy some. But, but listen, man, I am, I am uh, beyond grateful that you, you, you know, you and I are a lot alike. And, you know, I, I've meditated every day of my life for the last 15 plus years, man. And, and people that don't get that don't get it. Like you don't yeah. understand the power. That's one of the most powerful life changing things I've done is, is just, and there's no learning. People are like, how do you meditate? Like, there's no, like, you just do. Right. And, and it just happens. So I got, I got, I got to tell you something, Ken, real quick. So I'm gonna, I, uh, I'm gonna be on this show on MSNBC in November. It's called Your Business. Comes on early Saturday and Sunday mornings. It's a 30 minute show hosted by JJ Ramberg, and she interviews small business people, and she's wow. gonna have talk about the book and all that stuff. So I, I, I start, I've been watching the show a lot, and I was watching it a couple of weekends ago, and she was profiling this company called Iscape. It's an app for meditation. What's it called? Iscape. I th Iscape? I like the letter I, like Iscape. Yeah. Right? And this guy in New York started it. He had this meditation studio. He wanted to scale, so he had to come up with an app. And so I thought, well, I do a lot of meditation, but I'll buy it just to see. It's so awesome. It's like $3 a month or something. Really? And it has all these guided meditations. You like, you tap the topic, 
yeah. the length of time you want to go and the music, the guided meditations, everything, the breathing, the affirmations, the incantations, yep. the mantras. It's, it's like, it, it, like it, it, you, no one can say they don't know how to meditate anymore. Well, and I, you know, <clears throat> I, there's a, um, I, I, Dr. Wayne Dyer is one of my favorite authors and, and, um, he wrote a phenomenal book called, um, uh, there's a spiritual solution to every problem. Yeah. And, and it's one of my favorite books. And I, again, one of those books that you read over and over and over, but, um, you know, and, and I think he references, and he has a meditation thing that he did as well, but. Um, you know, I, I, it's just something where I learned a long time ago, you got to go to that, that quiet place and focus on the goals yep. and all the stuff that you're talking about, man. Like, it's incredible. Your book, I, I can't wait to get this, this newest book, man. That's awesome. So today's the day that it went on sale. Yep. You read that book, you learn how to be selling like a felon. Only Dude, that's awesome. That's so awesome. So what's the, uh, and it's text, the keyword videos, plural? Vid either one, video or videos to 96,000 or go to weldonlong.com and there's a big old orange button. You can click there and get the same three videos. You can't miss it. Awesome. Uh, you, you can buy the books uh, through Amazon. Uh, if you go to my site to get them, it just links you right through to Amazon because they do all the fulfillment anyway. So very easy to find, very easy to get. Dude, that's so awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on here. I'm Thank so you. excited for your new book. Let's um, everybody go get a copy of his book. Let's get him to the, the bestseller list on this one, too. Awesome. Dude, you rock. Thank you so you much. Too, Thank you so much, Ken. Pleasure talking with you, my friend. I appreciate you. Have bye, a good bye. day. All righty. All right. Bye-bye.